encouraging. Uh, today's a great topic, uh, just about family. It's something the world has not figured out very well, and we have such a blessing uh, in the church to learn so many things that many of us did not grow up knowing or learning about God. And uh, the title of the lesson came about from a Newsweek or a Time Magazine article that came out in November, December of 2010, uh, and uh, it was from a Pew Research study showing the whole mores and the, just the values of our society shifting dramatically since um, in the last 20, 30 years as it relates to marriage. So the title of the lesson today is, Is Marriage Becoming Obsolete? Now if you're married already, you go, no it's not, I'm married. But there's something in here for everybody that I think will really intrigue you. We're going to, our text that we're going to start with is in Matthew 19. But before doing that, I wanted to uh, just give you some statistics that I thought would be interesting to you that uh, kind of set things up. Here uh, is what the study came out saying that in the age group of 18 to 29, 44%, and you say, well, that's young people. Well, young people are shaped by something. But 44% of young people, 18 to almost 30 years old, say, yes, it's becoming obsolete. 30 to 50 years old, another 41% are saying, yes, marriage is, it's, it's, it's a has-been. It's of the past. It's gone. It's unnecessary. And you can see the rest of the statistics. But, you know, um, it's interesting. Some other statistics that... Um, that I thought, it says marriage is important, still very important in this country, but it does not dominate family life like it used to, said a professor of sociology and public policy at John Hopkins. Uh, experts say that young adults between 18 and 29 are more likely to have an unmarried or divorced parent today, which, is, which has changed their view of marriage. Over the last uh, 30 years, Americans increasingly think marriage once a central way of defining what constitutes a family is no longer important in that regard. You say, well, that's not how I think. Well, that's how a lot of our society thinks. That's how a lot of the kids think today in high school and college. And that's the kind of kid. those are the kids that are going to influence who? Our children. And that's how your, our society around us thinks in a major way. Back in 1960, 72% of all adults in our country were married. Now that number hovers around 52%. And not only are more people getting divorced, but more people are saying today, I don't. And I just thought this is interesting. I thought it's, it's important for us to know what's going around, going out around us, if we're really going to relate to society, not to become like them, but so that we can influence them with the hope of Jesus Christ. And I think, you know, you may hear this lesson and say, well, hey, I'm not married or I'm not planning on getting married, but you don't have to be married to be successful, complete as a person, happy, fulfilled, um, none of those things. But if you do desire an intimate relationship and children, God says this is the best way to make it work. Right here. This is what His Word defines. It's maybe society may say it's passe, but this is what his word designed, what his word calls us to. Some of these things, some of us are hearing for the first time. 
Others of us need to be reminded of the standard of what constitutes a godly marriage. Others of us, it's a refresher course. Amen? And I think others need to be reminded that if you're following the Bible, and the Bible is the central tenet of your marriage, how unique, how special, how different that is than most every other neighbor if you knocked on their door and behind you, on the side of you, above you, or the people in the cubicles next to you, if the Bible's not the center of their life, Jesus Christ is not the model for what they're basing their marriage on, then how we think in marriage is very different than how they think. So today I'm not just going to talk about that marriage is the whole concept of obsolescence. And I'm, I'm going to more talk about God's plan for marriage and how amazing it can be. Amen? This passage here in, in uh, Hebrews 13, I like to read it at weddings. It says, marriage should be honored by all, inferring that it might not be, but it what? Let's, let's try it with some conviction. But marriage what? It should be. See, I want you to say it because you've got to feel it and think this way. Because all day long, the media and people around us influence us. Whether we say, no, no, I'm, I'm solo, man. I don't, I don't let anybody influence me. You influ- you're influenced by what you breathe in around you. How can you not be? It's impossible. And so the Bible says marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. For God, people don't like the second part, but it's going to happen. For God will judge two things. The adulterer, someone who is married, having sex outside of marriage with someone that's not their spouse. God will judge that person. And all of us have read and seen or witnessed firsthand the devastation of adultery. And I'm not preaching about that today, but it's in the same passage about marriage should be honored by all. And then also, it's interesting, God will judge all the sexually immoral. Who's that? Those are people that are not in a marriage, but still have sexual relations. God will judge both. And in marriage... God has a great plan, and marriage should be honored by all. You know, we need to define marriage for the world and not let the TV shows that mock marriage, Married with Children, The Simpsons, I mean, I don't even watch TV, so I don't, I don't know all the shows, but there's always some show that's mocking marriage, mocking the husband as some ultimate doofus who's dominated by this opinionated, condescending woman you guys don't know what I'm talking about. You've never seen this? Okay. Some of you are going, that's my home. Well, let's get into the scriptures and let's get things on balance. Because we all get off balance sometimes. Amen? And I'm not just talking to the women. I'm talking to everybody. But marriage, uh, it's mocked by society. And, and then, you know, you see different people get married. The celebrity weddings and high-powered, high-powered marriages. And you see typically what happens from time to time with that as well. But marriage should be honored by all. And we need to not let society changing values define for us what marriage should be. Amen? We need to let society know I'm going to define it for you. Not because I'm perfect and my marriage is perfect. Not because I've got all the answers. But because as I use the Bible as my compass... It just always takes me in the right direction. You know, when you use a compass, you move your body to where true north is, the magnetic pole. 
You know what I'm saying? And as we let our, the Bible be our true north, our compass, then we change our direction according to what God says. And that's what we need to define for society. Not let them define it for us. As well as offer so much hope. Not just for a good marriage, but for an outstanding marriage. For a marriage that will make an eternal impact. You know, May 30th, you know what's happening? 19 years for me. Hey, the, the, the reaction was a little slim right there. People were like, so what? 26, baby. 42, baby. Okay, well, you know, I'm coming, I'm coming up. But uh, Michelle just keeps getting better. I'm not just saying this because you're supposed to plug nice things about your spouse in the sermon. It's really how I feel. I even wrote down some, some things just to prove what I'm saying. Michelle is fun and funny. Both. Because, you know, sense of humor is an important part of a happy marriage. Because we have a lot of stress, don't we? And if you can't laugh, it's right there in the Proverbs 31 woman. Laughs at the days to come. She's not a <laughs> It's not a sarcastic kind of a laughing. It's a lighthearted, you know what, we'll get through this. And it's kind of funny too anyway, isn't it? And, you know, you, you, you work through it in that way. Uh, Michelle's humble. She's pure-hearted. Um... She's very sincere. She's an incredible servant. She's modest and yet very beautiful. She's encouraging. She's tough. Many times, because in our house, she's the handy woman. Not because I'm lazy. I just don't have the skills. <laughs> or the patience or the fine motor skills for assembling anything. So some of you are like, you're lying. No, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. I mean, if it's got more than one instruction, open box, and click it together, I'm frustrated. But Michelle has spent many a nights assembling the garage cabinets, painting, you know, I'm just doing things where I'm like, wow. I've tried even when she goes, don't start that tonight. Honey, I can do it. I can install this thing. It's really easy. We just pull this out. And then the big joke is, 11.30 night, Michelle! I told you, Michelle, I just need, just, can you just take a look at this? It doesn't seem to make sense. I don't know if all the parts are here. Or, you know. So she has what I would call sweet skills on many levels. Um, Michelle's flexible. She's beautiful and gorgeous. It's true. You guys just think I'm buttering her up. No, there's not. I'm telling you. She's spirit-filled. She's insightful. She's wise. Um, she's industrious. She's patient. She's an incredible home decorator. Like, could be her job if that's... Which she's something she had a calling. And she's a gourmet chef. Self-trained. And now she's learning how to cook raw foods. Didn't you like, or make raw food, not cook. That's a, she's learning how to make raw food stuff, which I had beet leaves today and brown rice, which I had to, um, I had to realize. I said, why do I feel like a peasant right now? This is, this is, she's just like, here you go. Beet leaves. I'm like, honey, I don't know if this is, this could be poisonous. I might have a reaction in my sermon. Ah, you know, just, uh, she's uh, a great partner. She's supportive. She's evangelistic. And I can go on and on and on. I really thank God for marriage. And I thank God for marriage in Christ. Because I know me. I'm a very, I could, I'm a very self-destructive person. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Not just with me, but with you. That I know that there's no way that we could come on 19 years and be more in love today than back in 1992. And every time you do your anniversary date, you get kind of nervous, like you're going to 
not have it on have it on right there, but I graduated the same year, so it's easy for me to remember. Amen. Here's another uh, here's another interesting statistic. Are you worried about the changing attitudes about marriage? Forty three percent said yes. Traditional marriage is central to a healthy society. Fifty seven percent said no. It's normal for behaviors to change as our values evolve. Now, there's a truth to that. Our behaviors do change as our values evolve. The problem is, the Bible says God never changes. So if your values aren't anchored to something that's unchanging, you're always going to be shifting and your life's going to always doing this. But I just thought that's interesting. You know, this passage, I love this passage because there's nothing new under the sun. The, the, the dialogue we're having today, people have had and will have for every generation. God says in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, what people are discussing today in 2010-11, is really marriage necessary? Really? I can have sex. I don't need to be married. I can have kids. I don't need to be married. I don't need a traditional husband-wife family. It's intense. You know, my daughter, I was with Elias picking up my daughter the other day in our discipling time. And then my seven-year-old said, Dad, Grace asked me, do you have two dads? And I was like, you got to be kidding. I mean, first grade. She said, no, I told him, no, they're not gay. My dad's not gay. This is my first. I never, I never instructed her in the kind of the, what's happening in society, but seven years old, first grade, asked me, Elias, next time I'm going to have you sit in the back on the floor. <laughs> I'm just saying our whole mores are changing. Our whole values of what is a marriage and what are parents. And we're going to be talking about that all month, so gear up. It's going to be great. But it's all changing. And yet, I really believe if you desire to have children, true security, companionship, fulfilled sexual intimacy, and the most fulfilled, pur- pur- purposeful relationship you can have it, in marriage, it's got to be done God's way if it's going to fulfill. Are you saying there's no good marriages outside of Christ? No, that's not what I'm saying. Many of us, not many, few of us grew up where our parents had an outstanding marriage, married many, many decades. I'm just saying it gets even better than that. Way better. I'm not discrediting, disrespecting, denouncing that there's not people that connect and respect and serve. And I'm just saying it gets way better than that because when you have the spiritual realm, there's a level of trust and intimacy that only comes in Christ. Amen? There's nothing new under the sun. Today I want you to take away this thought. Marriage should be honored by all. So even if you're not married or don't want to get married... You can share about with people that God has a plan for marriage. And it's different. If you are married, you can share about with people, this is what I love about my marriage following God. Here's where it's weak, but here's what we're doing to improve. Here's why it should be honored by all. Look over in Matthew 19. You know, this is interesting because, remember I said there's nothing new under the sun? The discussion that was happening, that's happening this year, about this whole social mores change 
actually happens all the time. It happened in Jesus' day. It happened during the Renaissance period. Matthew 19, and it's happening all the time. Some Pharisees came to test Jesus and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. And said, verse 5, he's quoting out of Genesis, the first marriage, For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. What's he talking about? Intimacy, sexual intimacy and marriage. That they become one person. And there's a whole sermon right there on sex outside of marriage. What it does to you. How unfulfilling it is. How short-lived. How it's like a candy dinner. Tastes good the first few bites and then you feel sick. But he says the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. Well, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But this was not, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. You go, i got a problem with that. Take it up with Jesus. And you go, that's intense. Jesus says a lot of intense things and he wasn't a guy that didn't think through things and just kind of spouted out, oh yeah, there you go. What do you think about that? I mean, Jesus epitomized wisdom. And I'm not going to get into all that right now. But this is interesting because during Jesus' day, there were two schools of thought. There was two... uh, Remember we did that... that We talked about the rabbi? You guys remember that? Take my yoke upon you. And yoke meant my way of interpreting uh, the Torah. Do you guys remember that? Well, there were two schools of thought about marriage and divorce. The more conservative school of Shammai, that of that rabbinical school, stated that the only justifiable ground for divorce was adultery. The school of of Rabbi Hillel taught that any displeasure with a wife, including her cooking, her looks, justified a husband seeking divorce. Which do you think people clung to? Who's yoke? I'll take the Hillel yoke today because it was an easy out. No fault. Or your fault. Actually, not no fault divorce. Your fault divorce. And you know, there's always two sides, three sides, four sides to a story. And it's interesting, but in Jesus' day, they were, you know, they were asking about divorce. And this was a very hot topic, because remember Herod and John the Baptist, remember his head? There's a little issue going on right there. It was a hot topic in, in, in charged during that time. But this thing about the certificate of divorce that Moses started back during the time of the Levitical law and Mosaic law, was just something that was there to limit behavior that was already happening out of control. Rather than setting a precedence, it gave a measure of protection from, to women from their husbands who would leave them for trivial reasons. Hey, I want a reason. Give me a certificate of divorce. Tell me why you're leaving this woman. Because what God has joined together, let man not separate. And, and so what he's saying is, this is not how I wanted it to be. But it's happening, and so I'm going to do everything possible to protect the women. Amen, women? See, the ideal 
instituted by God from husbands was for a lasting union between man and woman that only God would separate with what? Death. Not health, not weight, not troubles, not trials. Go through the vows. But that only God, God brought it together. It's, it's sacred. God brings it apart at death. It's sacred. I know that's so different than what we see. But that's how God designed it. And that's how it's supposed to work. It's interesting that the verb there, uh, what God has joined together, let man not separate. The Greek word, C-H-O-R-I-Z-E-T-O, Corzieto, I don't know how to say it properly, means, it's in, it's in the present tense, and it's a verb which literally means to make it a habit to be separating. So what God has joined together, something supernatural has taken place. Let man not get in the habits of just ripping it apart or just, eh, I'm done, I'm out. I don't need to deal with that. It makes marriage so much more serious, amen? Let's talk about not just marriage being obsolete, let's take it a level higher. Why do some people dishonor God's plan for marriage? This is not an exhaustive list. But God wants marriage to be honored by all. And here's some reasons I came up with why I think people dishonor God's plan for marriage. Um, this is not turning. There we go. Here we go. Lack of trust in relationships. Lots of failed relationships. So why go into marriage... Because I just don't trust people and I know I don't trust myself and I just, so let's just keep it. Really, does living together create more trust? Keeping the options open, does it really create more trust? You know, I actually trust you more now because I know we're not locked in. So if you have to wander, I have to wander. I trust you more. Growing up in a divorced home. My parents never got divorced, thank God, 49 years to death. But I would not say, and my mom would agree, that, you know, their marriage was... Good at, at the best days. They did, made the best of it. Different era, too. Dad was born in the 20s. Affection was just not in the... Do you know what I'm saying? Not in the culture. So even though I didn't grow up in a divorced home, I've learned family in so many ways, and, and I've learned marriage in the church the last 23 years. But a home with a bad marriage and I, or a divorced home makes people cynical and fearful, and rightly so of marriage. Uh, many think that sexual intimacy must be tested before married, being married. I uh, was dating Michelle. I became a disciple. We got married four years after that. And I'll never forget my best friend in college. I called him up. I said, Mike, I'm getting married. We live together. We're going to live together all through college. I became a disciple. I moved out. Our total way of looking at the world went different. We had nothing in common anymore. It was very sad. I reached out to him. I tried everything. I called him up a couple years later. Mike, I'm getting married. He said, did you test drive the car? And I was so insulted. And I'm pretty easy going. I said, what? Did you test drive the car? I said, Mike, give me a break. You know I'm a Christian. You know I don't think that way anymore. You know I don't live that way anymore. Well, man, you got to test drive the car before you take it home. It's such an, it's such an illusion. How many of those relationships end up in a lifelong Strong, intimate, trusting relationship. And for those of us that aren't married and then go have sex outside of marriage, it just creates more and more and more problems. You bring that baggage, if you ever get married, right into the marriage. You've got to be careful. But this is an illusion. This, this right here 
is huge. This is what most people, everybody thinks, that this is the wise way. God's ways are higher than man's ways. This is destructive. Uh, a lot of people say, I don't have the money, but I want the benefits of the companionship and the sexual relationship. And I want a big wedding. I mean, we're going to go big, at least 10, 20 grand. And we don't have it right now. Really, it's all about that day? But it's, this is our society. And a lot of people look at marriage as a technicality. What if people say it's just a piece of paper? We're married in our hearts. Then you bump into them later. Hey, how's your married in your heart relationship going? Oh, we divorced in our hearts and we're not together anymore. <laughs> I mean, and I'm not being sarcastic. I'm, I was right there in the thinking. But I'm just saying it's funny how, well, and I said the same thing. Well, I'm married in my heart when I, you know, before I was a disciple. I justified sexual intimacy in that way. Or sexual pleasure, however you want to look at it. But it's technicality, not a necessity. And a lot of people say, well, I don't be locked or tied into a lifelong relationship. Keep my options open. Or I don't know or believe that God... A lot of people don't know or believe that God has an amazing plan for marriage doing it His way. Amen? What's different about marriage God's way? Look at Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. What's different about, what's different about marriage God's way? Because marriage should be honored by all. It's not, but it should be. And by disciples, we need to honor it. We need to honor it in our own personal homes. We need to honor it before our children, by how we repent, by how we treat our spouses, by how we're always growing. But also, we need to honor it, whether we're married or not, how we speak about it. Because God designed the institution, not man. And man can fiddle with it all they want. But it's never going to be as good even close than when we do it God's ways. A spiritual foundation, that's different about marriage God's way. Luke 6, 46 through 49 says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he's like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He's like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, and let me tell you, they always come. The torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment that torn struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. You know, when you buy a house, I've never heard of a foundation inspection. I mean, I've heard of one, but not, honey, I found the house we're going to move into. Have you seen the foundation? No, I want to first see the foundation. Oh, honey, you've got to come see this house. The foundation is beautiful. I got on my hands and knees. It's just barely, I just ran my hand across it. It's incredible. Most amazing foundation I've ever set my eyes on. You're going to love living there because of the foundation. You don't think that way, but how about you bought a house or you're about ready, you're in escrow, you're doing all the negotiation, and the realtor, you're reading through the stuff, kind of the main pages, and it says, uh, house problem with foundation or cracked foundation or weak foundation or no foundation. You would be like, eh, we'll take it. I love the view. I love this. So, you know, it's a small technicality, but look at it. It looks great. For how long? See, what's different about marriage God's way is that there's a spiritual foundation. Jesus talks about this is so much more than just religion. This is people that hear the word and actually practice it. 
Just like all of us have some sort of career that we practice a discipline. You wouldn't say, I'm an attorney because I watch Law and Order. Well, do you practice it? Oh, I figured out all the cases on TV. No one's just called me to ask me yet. I thought about doing some consulting, building a website. No, just because you watch Law and Order doesn't make you an attorney just as much as showing up on a college campus with a backpack, no matter how prestigious university, and hanging out in the library or the bookstore makes you, yeah, man, I go to Harvard, baby. Sweatshirt, backpack, got the look, baseball cap. No, it's what you're practicing, who you are, what you're doing. When you look at the person's life, it reflects, yeah, that's what, that's their practice. That's what they do. Jesus said two types of people. We know this story, but it's huge when it comes to marriage. Marriage God's way has a spiritual foundation. You don't see it, but you see the effects of it. Because everyone's tested by storms. And I love that. I learned this in the church. Michelle and I have grown so much and overcome so much in 19 years in our characters, with our baggage that we brought into the marriage, with our upbringing and our quirks and everything else, and are still learning. But I'm so thankful that there's a spiritual foundation because there's storms in my house. Any in yours? A few shingles have flown off my roof. Little water's gotten into my house. I've had some water damage. How about you? And I'm so thankful that I'm anchored to a foundation in the practices of Jesus. That I'm part of a church that, and I tell people this, you know what's different about our church? It's not that we just preach the Bible. All churches, for the most part, preach the Bible. But we teach people how to practice it, not just hear it. And we work together as partners to expect each other. Imagine going out with, to work out with somebody for a good workout and they're just like, eh, let's make this as easy as possible. Like, you know what? Why don't we just get a mist bottle, spray it on our head and, you know, walk back to our car fast really a couple times. I'll slap your face to get yours red. You slap mine and let's just go home. We'll tell our wives we worked out. I mean, that's weak. But you know what? A lot of people, that's how they, they are with church. They mill in. They mill out, no practice, no change. I'm so thankful for the spiritual foundation. I've learned that in the church. And we have so many outstanding couples in this church that have built a spiritual foundation for decades and are keep, keep building. And for those that are going through a hard time, take hope in that. Don't be discouraged if there's a few shingles or the chimney came off. It can be put back on. We've still got the foundation. When I was a kid, my, uh, I'll never forget, I was, I don't know, maybe eight years old. You know, you have little vague memories. A car, uh, I think he was drunk, went off the road, and we had about a quarter of an acre, maybe an eighth of an acre in the front of our house, drove off the road, eighth of an acre, missed this huge tree, and went right into our dining room. You know, and I'll never forget, you know, coming downstairs in my zippy PJs with the footsies built in, zip them all the way up, you know what I'm talking about? Fuzzy ones. Coming down at like two in the morning with the big hair. And there's a nose of a car in my dining room. You know what they did? The insurance paid for it. The car was pulled out. I don't remember that part. All I remember is the flashlights, the crash, and kind of going, there's a car in my dining room. Cool. But we built it. You know, there's no sign of it anymore. We worked worked through it. The Pelizzeri stayed together, even though the car interrupted our dining space for a while. Luckily, it was two in the morning. 
I want to give you hope. If you're building your foundation on it, you have a lot of hope. You'll get through the storm. Keep going. You know, I, I think of, I asked Steve and Jackie, since I work with the singles, who are some great examples of this? And they said the least. You know, just them, uh, both Joe and Nicole, just became Christians in the kingdom, not in the kingdom, became Christians after being married, and came in the kingdom, and have really used their home, used their family, used their gifts, used their talents, served a lot of people, helped a lot of people, still are, but have a great spiritual foundation. Amen? Look at Malachi 2, verse 15. You know, God, for those of us that have children, God's plan for you to have children isn't just so you have somebody you can be proud of. Yeah, my kid went to such and such school, making fat cash. There's somebody, which makes me snap your suspenders, somebody. That's not why God helped us have children. Just so we could be loved and adored and then all of our neighbors would go, Ooh, really? Yeah, you know. Probably going to do a double PhD on the side just for fun. And I'm not mocking higher education. I'm all about education. I'm just saying it's in all of us to want to live vicariously through our children. And, you know, the difference between proud of them for us and them using all their gifts possibly for God. And God's plan is that Christian families would produce godly offspring. You can't dictate what your kids do. But you can do everything possible from your end. To be humble, to get a lot of help, to set a great example, to say you're sorry when you make mistakes, to have people in your life, and not... The easy part is having the kids. Right? The hard part is raising the kids. My mom had eight kids, and she says, you know, Marco, I could not do what you do. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I had a hard enough time washing the laundry by hand, you know, with the big machine and the barrel washer and bringing it up, you know, hanging it all on the line. And she's just nine to midnight every day, eight kids, and seven in seven years. So do the math. And the cloth diaper in the toilet. Remember that? Um, she says, I just tried to keep it together and keep food in people's mouths and clothes that didn't have holes on them. But you're training your, you're, you're like training your kids. You're teaching them about God and you're disciplining them with, with reason, not just, you're, you're trying to, you know, and this is in my words, but you're trying to impart spiritual things. You're really trying to produce, my words now, godly offspring. Isn't it a lot of work, parents? Sometimes I am just like, the hope factor is like, so, I mean, sometimes I'm, I'm worn out. I got these three permanent lines now that hit me at about 40 where I'm just like, oh man, that is here to stay. You know where that's coming from. I mean, it's just, it's a challenge. And yet the Bible talks here about marriage in Malachi 2. It says, Has not the Lord made them one? Talking about marriage. In flesh and spirit, they are His. And why one? Remember that passage we read before about the two becoming one? Because He was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit. And do not break faith with the wife of your youth. I hate divorce, says the Lord. God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment. So he's putting violence and divorce kind of in the same category. And he says, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. You know, I appreciate the Blanco family. Got married uh, long before they became disciples. Had a great marriage. Right? In love. Dave's... Dave is the most interesting man over 50, you know. Just if you talk to Dave, he's facts, facts galore of all kinds. 
Uh, but you can just tell they're best friends, get along, doing a great job with their family. But to see uh, their daughter become a disciple and the kind of woman she's become, so encouraging. So there's hope if you become a disciple later in your life. It's not just one way. But still, God blessed, I think it was about 12 when you, she was 12, maybe 13, when they started coming to church and became true disciples, had a spiritual foundation already, but never had become disciples, and you have to see what's, what's, what's happened with Jenny, and you guys are doing a great job with Peter. And it just it gives me encouragement. It gives me hope. Um, you know, I, I talk about this family a lot because they inspire me, but I do appreciate the Wingies. And I, I've got younger kids, so to speak, but it gives me hope. Okay, here's hope. I can, if I can do it somewhat this way, God can work. But I can produce some godly offspring too. Not just the offspring, but godly offspring. So I'm, I'm a work in progress as a parent. Ask my kids. I blow it every day. You know, in my communion, talk with God every week. Oh Lord, help me again with my anger. I'm not kidding. Help me with my impatience. Help me with my harsh words. Help me with my frustration. You guys are looking at me like, you really? It's true. Just let the blood cover me. But I want to produce godly offspring. And God wants us to produce godly offspring because then God gets more glory. Not just with well-behaved kids. You know, I, I, I live in PV, and in PV it's very family-oriented and very higher education-oriented. From a young age, everything's about getting in the premier university so you can, you can take life by the horns. And I think it's great. It's, it's, a, it's a higher calling of ambition. But I'll tell parents often, I'll say, you know, you're so devoted. I don't say it this way, but I say, you know, it's really encouraging how you're focused on your family and how you're, um, you're doing everything possible to help your kids really excel in education. But how about spiritually? And I just get this look like, huh? Almost like I suddenly became a Martian in the little things. I mean, just literally like, what did you say? They, don't, they just don't know what to say. Well, uh, yeah, okay. Talk to you later. I mean, just... Because this is a foreign concept. What we have is so special about producing godly offspring. Third, a partnership with eternal goals. In Acts 18.26, and you see this couple. There's not many married couples in the New Testament. But you see this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. I preached about a month ago. But I love this verse in Acts 18.26. It says, when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, referring to a man named Apollos, who was very religious, very spiritual, but off base, they invited him into their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. You know, that's one of the most fun things I get to do with my wife. Is we love to invite people into our home and explain the way to God, the way of God to people more adequately. That's kind of one of the main reasons God brought us together. Because I have a different set of skills. Michelle's got a different set of skills. I can, I can talk and I can run. That's about it. Michelle's got all the rest, as I shared. And we work together. It's a great team. And I love it. I love the fact that we can invite people into our home and explain the way of God more adequately. And our family devotionals are not uh, going to make it on the videos of this is how it works. There's interruptions. There's slight chaos at times. There's... Sometimes I say, oh, come on guys, we're trying to focus on God. And that just does not create the... Do you know what I'm saying? But even, that, even with that, people have said, you know what, this is incredible. I love this. People that have come into our home to, to be able to, you know, to explain the way of God more adequately. We've got to use our homes. We've got to use our marriage to bring glory, to be a partner with eternal goals. 
appreciate the Craigs. You know, many times I talk to Brian and Dessa, hey, I gotta go, I've got some couple coming over from the basketball, from the soccer, from this, from that. I appreciate them opening their home many times. Over and over. And I know there's many more that do that. But we've gotta see that this marriage is a partnership that can have eternal goals and make an eternal impact. That as we reflect Christ, more and more. Look at 1 John 5. We're almost done. We're going to be wrapping it up here in just a couple minutes. 1 John 1, excuse me. You know, what's different about marriage God's way is that it practices lordship and discipleship. Most people have no idea what that even means. Lordship and discipleship. They know about cruise ship. Right? Or hardship. Or there's a ship or something. But, but lordship... And discipleship, it's a foreign concept. Almost like you're speaking a foreign language to most people. Even people that have a good marriage. So how's the lordship in your marriage? The what? What are you talking about? This isn't Old England lordship. How's the discipleship? What's that? Do you know, this lordship and discipleship has saved my marriage so many times. I really thank Henry and Lana for being in our lives for the last 12 years, 13 years, 12 years, I've been in L.A., 17 total, but 12 intimately, and especially the last seven. I appreciate Henry's grown so much as a husband. Lana's grown so much as a wife. Henry's grown so much more gentle. I've learned a lot from him. He's helping me. He lets the steam out of my balloon before it pops. You know what I'm talking about? He just, let me just let a little bit out without popping you. I'm thankful that I have a mentor... Someone practicing discipleship, this is how you do it right here with Jesus. This is how you, not perfect, but this is, let me help you. Came to my house multiple times over the years, both of them, counseling, mentoring, helping me with discipleship. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, I picked this passage because we talk about this in Christian relationships. How about the Christian marriage relationship? There is such a power that there's nothing hidden about my marriage. Do you have some bad habits? Everybody does. People know about them? Holding you accountable? You letting them know? Or they find out through the cracks in your foundation? Do you have some bad practices or just areas of chronic struggle? People know about it? Are they helping you? Are you asking for help? Or are you just waiting until it's the meltdown? See, discipleship is one man, one woman, helping another man, another woman in marriage. It's amazing how much Michelle and I will listen to other people sometimes when we're in the bad spot. Do you know what I mean? You guys are looking like I have no idea what I'm talking about. Okay, well, sometimes we get in arguments. And sometimes they're DEFCON 4. Is that right? Or 1? Or I don't know, whichever the higher one. And we've got to bring in the Calvary so we can prove who's right. No. So we can get the help. So we can get the help. Because we're not objective anymore. The emotions are heightened. And it's amazing. I just thank God that we have that help. It helps us grow. It helps us be better. 
It's not, and those times are so far and few between how, the, when they, how they used to be years ago. But they still happen from time to time. And I'm so thankful that we're both under the submission of the Lordship of Jesus. Putting Him first and discipleship. Having other people help us. Hold us accountable. Encourage us. Walk with us. Show us how to do it. Doesn't your spouse listen better sometimes to other people than you? It's just more of an objective party. Someone that's not all emotionally all riled. You know, their only stock in the game is they love you. They still go home to their nice spouse. You know, at this point, you're stuck. But I'm thankful for that. That's practicing discipleship, lordship, this walking in the light, this fellowship, this confessing your sin, this forgiveness that's all around, and this closeness. It says we have fellowship with one another. Ephesians 5, I'm just going to close here. What's different about marriage? Spiritual servant leadership and strength. I don't have time to read the whole passage because I need to end. But this is so radical. This is Jesus. The Bible talks about here in Ephesians 5, the role of the husband and wife. And it's hard roles. I'm just going to say it. It's hard. That the husband's to lead the family spiritually and to lead the wife spiritually. Wives, make it easy on us, okay? That's a tough job. And if you want us to do a good job, be our cheerleaders. It's hard. Right? Guys, let's make it easy for them to follow our lead, to submit to us. Let's not be tyrants, dictators. Where's my dinner? I work hard. I saw that growing up. It stuck with me. A lot of memories are gone. It stuck with me. And my dad did work really hard. And it was a different era. But I'm just so thankful that I, in the church, I've learned, learned, learning, present tense verb, learning, sensitivity, learning, consideration, learning, servant type leadership, learning, learned, learning, still learned, learning. I mean, it's hard. But that servant type leadership the Bible talks about, that we're to treat our wives the same way as Jesus treated the church. Now, don't get all doing this with your husband inside. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, well, you know, inside, just... It's not going to go well with you if that's where you're going. You'll get humbled yourself, so... But the Bible says to love your wives like Christ loved the church. And it tells the wives, wives, respect your husband. Hold him in high honor, esteem, in a special way. The most valuable person in your life. Love his ideas and opinions, even though they're not always that good. Love him anyway. He's amazing. But Ephesians 5 says, in verse 33, However, each one must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. What's different about marriage God's way? We have such a higher call. Let's take these things to heart. Let's make sure that marriage... Not should be in our lives, but is honored by all. Thank you.